waterproofing of the showers and bath surrounds, often overlooked. It is your last line of defense. We spend a ton of time thinking about how to treat roofs and exterior assemblies, but I can't think of an environment that takes more abuse than a shower. Um, on the interior, yeah. I mean, scares scares the, the bleep out of me sometimes. Mm, yeah. Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode 76. 76 with your hosts, Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Array Herto of HRV Homes as well. Mark Savatsky, Choose Boston, and we are talking today about building a building. So no guests. No guests. No guests today. Just us. Last time we did this, we started this series a while ago. We just never finished it. We had so many guests. That's right. So um, talking about framing. Yeah, we got through framing. We were yep. talking about potentially an episode on MEPs, but you know, I think that I think that we leave that one. We did an episode with TE2 Engineering and Ross Trithui, so I, I'd refer you to that episode. Um, we're going to skip to the fun stuff finishes here. Let's pick up on sort of blueboard plaster. Before yeah, for those who want to just catch up prior to this, if you're interested, episode 47 is where we last left off. Yeah, let's kick it off. State of the state. How are you guys doing otherwise? What's uh, what's new at HRV Homes? Things are good. Trying to stay busy. Just got uh, a new six-unit building approved. So we're going to be a little building that. I like that because you guys picked up a building and uh, subdivided off land, and your new basis on the land is zero. Pretty minimal. Zero dollars. Yep. Cool. So that's great. a good good covered land play. Um, so And yeah. we have some feelers out there for some other projects. I think Dan and I took a lot of time this past year just saying, what do we want to do? And I think our shift is focusing more on rentals and probably working on larger scale rather than the two and three unit buildings. As, as much fun as they are, it tires you out after a while. What do you got going on? Yeah. Um, I have something going to the Board of Appeals. It uh, started out as two triple deckers and is now going to be four townhouses. And so hoping- Like to one building? Uh, yeah, one building. Nice. Interestingly, you can build townhouses as like four single family, fee simple, or otherwise a one condominium building with four townhouse design, you know. One sewer line, one water line for all four. Yeah, that would be the benefit. I'd contemplated for a second. If you do four townhouses as single families, you need four permit numbers, you need four sewer laterals, so on and oh, so geez. forth. So I just don't see where there's a benefit to doing that. Would you have to subdivide the lot? Like You would. So four parcels? Yeah. I suppose if there was a zoning reason to do it, if you were in a municipality where it was a one F single family zoning yeah. and you had to identify these as single families, then you you would do it. But you know, it's a different different party wall requirement between uh, two single family homes as opposed to two condominiums side by side. I love the townhouse format. We're doing some in Bay Village right now between South End and Back Bay. And they've sold so quickly and it's just such a great like product for the world we're living in. I like the townhouse concept, but I think we recently did two townhouses ground up and while they were really nice and there was a lot of space, there were four stories. And I think a three-story townhouse is as tall as you want to go unless you are putting yeah. in an elevator or a personal elevator. Because I think that walking up four flights of <laughs> stairs, potentially five if you have a roof deck, it's it's a lot of that, steps. That fourth story was the challenge. And there were some other things like the width of the living space because you're putting them all side by side. But yeah. One more thing, and then we move on. It just beauty of townhouses as well is uh, there's no MAAB, which is to say accessibility yeah. requirements for a townhouse. 
there's, you know, you don't have to worry about your bathrooms being a particular size or a roll-in unit or an elevator or so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, a lot of good things. Something nice about that. Well, good luck at the hearing. Thank yeah. you. Well, it's always a challenge. It's always an adventure. Indeed. Indeed it is. Do an episode about that process another day. But for now, let's... Well, we, I think we have. Or we've yeah. talked about it. Oh, we've got a couple yeah. zoning attorneys on. No. The early the early days of the, of the podcast. So board and plaster. So yeah, you've, you've built this house. You Where built, are we at? Where are we at? You've got your foundations in. Your utilities are in the building. You are framed up. All your rough sign-offs are done. You've, you're, even your insulation sign-off. So the next time you see an inspector will be at finish. Uh, so in Massachusetts, we're, we use mostly board and plaster as opposed to drywall and tape. Why so is that? Blue board plaster. I, frankly, I just think it's one of those things where it's, uh, it's developed that way. And that's how all of, most of the open shop trades know how to, to, to do the work. So there's got to be history behind it because, yeah. because I, Massachusetts and like parts of, I think like Northern Connecticut, like North of Hartford, it's mostly board and plaster, but like almost everywhere else in the country. Drywall tape. Well, we're not doing tape. You're not seeing board and plaster in some of these larger multi-unit density developments, are you? No, the, the large commercial stuff. Commercial. Is all Once you get into a commercial outfit, those guys are, you know, so just to explain quickly, blue board and plaster, you know, you're skim coating the entire surface of, of the board with, with a plaster finish, as opposed to drywall and tape where you just do the joints, you sand uh, level four, perhaps level three. And um, level four, level three. So those are, those are, yeah, you can purchase uh, on the bigger commercial stuff. You know, I will buy the finish to a level three, ah. which is distinct from level two and level four. So board and plaster is like an art. It is. Have you tried it? No. Have you seen the people that make plaster trims and moldings and, you know, yeah. everything Vene around Venetian the light? plaster? Yeah. Yeah. It's that really nice. Really are for It is a lost art. Yeah. But um, all right. So not too much to say here, except to say. <laughs> so we're boarded now. We're boarded. So yep. one, watch the weather. We're going into the winter. This is not an application you want to do in, in uh, 11 degrees outside because it will crack. Yep. And I uh, get very brittle when it dries. So and, temperature control. And, and, and because the, the plaster is mixed with water, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of moisture going into your building yeah. all at once. Yeah. And then. You How know, long do you need to let it sit before it's actually cured? Well, kind of it, it depends, depends right? on, it really depends on the elements, mm -hmm. you know. I've painted too early before and it, it, it starts to uh, bubble yeah. like uh, someone with boils. Yeah. It will bleed through too. Like it will, yeah. it will it, it's like a weird, but I think it depends because you also don't want, our plaster has said you don't want to crank the heat either because it will mm -hmm. crack too. To, yeah. Like, oh, you crank the fast. heat, you'll dry it out too quickly and then it will mm -hmm. crack. Why so the hell do we use this product if it's yeah. so temperamental? Because it's supposed to, it's the, the finish, if you have a, a, very if smooth you have a good fat plaster, the finish ultimately they say is better yeah. than mudding and taping. Do you get like any sound benefits out of that? I know we just did the episode on yeah, it. Like, I'd say you I do. think it seals better around all the J boxes and everything, right? Yeah. Just seals better. I think you get a better air seal generally from plaster. You know, a couple quick things I would look for too. Just make sure that they're blocking the joints. So before you go and skim coat the entire board, I want to see that they're treating the joints vertically and horizontally, letting that cure and then coming yes. back. Mm -hmm. Another uh, something to prevent cracking. Especially around where you're, if you're going to have like a bathroom scenario, right? Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that the, you want to make sure that where you're going to transition from tile to, to blue board or, mm -hmm. or your wall, you definitely have extra blocking. So you've got support for yeah. the whatever the, the board that you're going to use on the mm -hmm. tile surface 
versus your wall. Yeah. I will always leave about an eighth of an inch or a quarter inch gap at the bottom of the where the drywall meets the subfloor, and then we will caulk that joint. You know, I'd like to say use acoustical caulking, but really just a simple Alex caulking, like a, not silicone, but acrylic based caulk, and that that's really good for air sealing and sound too. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. One last thing on drywalls on our windows, something I've been doing a lot is just drywall returns as opposed to trim, uh, you know, encasing out a window in the traditional sense. It's a little bit more of a contemporary look, but it is a savings relative to having your finished carpenter come and encase out the inside of that window. Yeah, material. Yeah. One of my rentals, or actually a couple of our rentals have that where it's just yeah. returned in, there's no trim. What I do though is I do spend a few extra dollars on the window sill on the inside. So I'll use like mm -hmm. a five quarter inch white oak just round the edge on the front and um or do you use where the window meets the like the inside of the the drywall the, yeah it's a good question i actually will bring my finished carpenter carpenter in before the uh drywall goes and we put the sills in and then we drywall to them no i'm talking about on the on the vertical so so like see how the on, on the side, in our in this on the sides, not on the not for the sill. Yeah, just so where the drywall it, meets. Where the drywall meets the window. Do you just frame it in so that's easier to like replace in the future? Is that just a fit? That's just they just, they just board right up to it. There's no you don't have like a there's no, piece of trim or a piece of cord around or something. You could use like a uh, a, a bead, uh, mm -hmm. but we we just caulk that. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, J, J trim, I think would work, but, um, all right. So moving on past that, now you've, your plaster, <laughs> Very specific. it is dry <laughs> and you are ready to paint. Yeah. Prime, prime, prime first. Paint. Well, we usually do, we typically usually will, we'll spray everything out. We'll do a coat. We'll actually do the final coat on the ceilings. So that way we're, we're done with all of the spraying on the ceilings. Cause then we can start putting in our lights and stuff. If we have electrical and light the place up. But we'll usually prime the walls. Sometimes our painter likes to do one coat on the walls just to kind of get it all done because mm -hmm. the place is empty and it's a lot easier just, you know, roll, Pol poly roll the windows, roll everything out. Yep. You're protecting the windows with plastic. Protecting <laughs> There's the no windows. flooring. I also, on. I also like to get all the spraying done before flooring goes in mm -hmm. and tile goes in and any other finishes Cabinet. go in because then you don't have to worry about overspray or stuff getting everywhere and having mm -hmm. to cover everything. So we try to get all the spraying done minus the doors and the trim. The doors is challenging because I like to, you like to have your floors in yep. before you can install your pre-hung doors, but you like to spray your pre-hung doors. Correct. So that creates a little bit of a quandary at that point in the job. And typically what we'll do is we'll create almost like a, a manufacturing line with the doors, set them all up in a big living room, protect the floors, protect the walls, and, and spray, them, spray them out and then go in and spray. If, if, we, if the building that we have, that we're doing has space or has a garage or a or basement, basement, we'll have our painter bring everything down to there and set it everything up, label all the doors and the locations, numbering them, and then we'll spray it all out there so it's not in any of the yeah. finished spaces. That's a good call. Yeah. You know, you can install pre-hung doors prior to wood floors. It just takes a little bit of labor after the fact. Usually use like a, a multi-master or something to, to just cut down the bottom of the jams to the right level. Our floor guy usually... If we're we'll doing that, that, our floor guy will usually do that. These are things these they usually account for it. I mean, we're not going, are you going for perfect, like going for like a very specific distance between the floor and the interior door? No, you know, I mean, especially in more of the emerging neighborhoods, we're not, yeah. you know, we could talk about. But you're talking floor. more about the jam than the door itself. Yeah. Yeah. But these small things are just items that I always like to discuss up front with my subs. 
So even, even how we're going to tr treat the doors, my painter and I both just have to be on the same page before that contract is signed. So there isn't any confusion. The other reason going back to the paint is uh, to do what Dan was saying is just kind of get a first coat on it. A lot easier to find any imperfections that might need to be identified later. Mm -hmm. So on, in case in case somebody missed it during board and plaster or mud tape. True. Yeah. So, so. On, on drywall, well, we'll go to tile next, but relatedly, who takes your cement board or your go board in the bathrooms around the shower surround or around the bathtub? Or, you leave that with your drywaller or you let your tile guy take that? We have our tile guy take it because we... I like having the tile guy be responsible for the complete installation and waterproofing of the bathrooms because, and, and this kind of just leads into tile because, you know, it's kind of all on them and it's kind of a complete solution versus also, I don't think that our borders other than, you know, if you're using standard cement board and just kind of screwing them into, you know, into the studs. I don't think our board and plaster is going to know how to install some of these more specialty items like the lightweight go board or uh, weedy or the Schluter products. I think that that's a more of a specialized uh, installation that your tiler is going to do. So mm -hmm. we typically kind of defer to them to kind of take it over. Don't recommend board and plaster or any Board hanging well, what about you? Do what do you, yeah. do you, what do you typically do? I have done both, but I do prefer the one point of accountability right. and let the tile guy take the, uh, the cement board. But then what happens if there's, God forbid, there's a water leak or something afterwards, who do you call? Do you call the tiler? Do you call the border? Well, then you get that, you get the, sometimes you get the point, finger the finger pointing. pointing right? yep. yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. But I would say that one other thing to consider is just take pictures behind the shower surrounds or the bathtub before you go and set that cement board. It's so often we're thinking about a niche or should I cut this in here? It's like, oh wait, let me just check where we ran that plumbing and to have that. That's a really good point. Be helpful. Before we insulate, we're, I don't know if we covered this on the framing episode, but before we insulate, we will bring in kind of like a Matterport or equivalent type contractor and they do the whole house. I've been so. using Struction site, fairly uh, cost effective, and there'll be 360 photos taken from yeah. every vantage point in every room. One thing that comes to tile also is, you know, going even back to your framing is making sure that if you are doing niches and stuff, in the past, we've used like the pre-built kind of niches, the yeah. foam niches, but mm -hmm. I like custom building them all, framing them, framing them all, because yeah. I like matching them exactly to the height of the tile because I know what tile I'm going to be using far enough in advance where I can say, okay, well, this is going to be a 12 by 24 tile and I know exactly where the height's going to be so I can make sure that I don't have like a half tile right. where the niche starts. So I can start the niche right where a full tile ends so that way it's a much better, cooler look. Yeah. I've actually been successful in getting my tile guy to build those niches as we're tiling. Are you doing any lights? Is he cutting like framing, like studs and stuff to fit him in for you and everything? He does. Oh, wow. He has. What were you asking, Ray? Oh, sorry. Like, are you doing any like uh, like lights? Where? In the shower? In the niche area. A lot of people oh. I see do that. I have not. Yeah, I'm, neither have we. I'd like to try it, but afraid of electricity and wet spaces. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool look. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so are you doing niches? Yeah. Uh, in the master. Yeah. From the primary bath. So, so those, yeah, those are the, those who don't know what a niche is. It's those boxes in a shower or a, a, a tub that you can kind of store all your shampoo and soaps and all that stuff. You're seeing it more and more now. If I'm not going to, and it's a more uh, cost-effective product, just 
provide a shelf and I'll have a tile guy install that, drill that into, into the tile. Yeah. Um, waterproofing of the showers and bath surrounds often overlooked. It is your last line of defense. We spend a ton of time thinking about how to treat roofs and exterior assemblies, but I can't think of an environment that takes more abuse than a shower. Um, on the interior, yeah. I scares mean, scares the bleep out of me sometimes. Mm, yeah. So one quick tip is pitch. Water, water pitch person. is important. Pitch, yeah. I don't care if you're using Red Guard or you're using Laticrete. Um, Hydroband for your waterproofing. These are roll-on waterproofing applications that go on on top of the cement board. But one coat is not enough. As a general rule of thumb, I like to make sure that you cannot read the lettering on the cement board through the waterproofing. I want it, if it's red guard, I want it to be real red. And making um, sure that even before you use that, you're there almost like mudding the joints and where mm -hmm. your screws are. Yeah as well yeah so um, i've come a long way on my thinking on shower pans i've done copper pans yeah i've done we have let my plumber do the rubber rubber uh, pans and more recently i've moved to the schluter curdy system and what do you prefer schluter curdy we haven't moved to schluter yet but i think we're going to be moving in that direction so it, it is a labor savings though an uptick in material they'll also if you take a picture mm -hmm. of it our tiler said that if you take a picture of it full, the pan full, with and water. it's not with water, it's not leaking, they'll warranty it. Really? That's how you get their warranty is you take a picture mm -hmm. of it, and then they'll, they'll that's how they're... Small but, tangent, but I've never had any success with a warranty. I'd, I'd welcome other people's perspective on it, but roofing materials, you yeah, know, your no. Firestone EPDM roof is warrantied. But as I understand it, all that's warrantied is the material. So yeah, you're right. still going to need six roofers to rip the old stuff, get a dumpster. So great. You just gave me 1200 bucks of free rubber roof. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> doesn't make up for. They'll say like, oh, it doesn't yeah. make up for all the damage that yeah. the leak has caused. Yeah. How often does an actual EPDM roof actually fail, right? It's usually just like, oh, somebody dropped something out of it. Usually an installation issue. It's not, it's, not yeah. the, it's not the material. That's why they'll that offer lifetime warranties because they know it's yeah. such specific criteria. Same with windows. You ever have a window problem and you call Geldwin or Pella? They're always, yeah, sure, we'll come out and look at it. But I'm fairly certain it's not the window. It's likely, you know, not that there aren't exceptions, but. Yeah. There's always exceptions. Yeah. yeah. I think we've had maybe one, but yeah, not, nothing else. Curbed or curbless showers? Curbed. Yeah. <laughs> We've recently had some we had a warranty claim on issues that. with a curbless shower that we did. And it actually wasn't the curbless component of it, though, that caused that no. was the cause of the issue. It was it was other. This was a very it was other components design. of the install. So I, I can't blame it on just not be have there you know if there was a curb there it still would have leaked look if i'm building a single family custom home for someone 100 curbless but if you're in a multi-family application you have to think about building condos like toyota builds cars and i know that my guys are very adept at building showers with curbs it's how they've done it their whole life and when i throw them a curveball you know though we may be able to to you know connect with the pitch there's a good chance that you know it's a foul ball or worse yet a whiff and so I, I, I will just, say, if you're going to do curbless, make sure there's a door on it. Don't do like a, a, don't not put a door on a curbless shower. It might not look as good, but. Are you going with uh, radiant floor heat in the bathrooms? Primaries. Mm -hmm. depend, obviously, it depends on the price point, but typically primaries, yes. I've had a couple horror stories on, uh, on, on radiant floor heat. Really? Yeah. What, what, who are, you, are you using the Schluter? No. 
Um, We've I, used laticrete. You uh, not laticrete. Some epoxy uh, grout is what we want to use to keep the water from getting laticrete, even start going it. through. To, and yeah. then in terms of the mud, I mean, the mud's the mud. You're, yeah. You know, gonna, we had a situation where we nick, nicked the water. Oh, you nick, so how, we, where, we, with what? what during the tile? I, I, during the tile install. I don't know where, when, how, but we ended up with chipping guns taking out a really nice bathroom floor uh, to put down the uh, radiant floor. I like a product called Warm, Warmly Yours. It's online and I send them the bathroom, just a sketch, uh, the size, and they, they send me a mat that's custom made. Just roll it out uh, to the bat in the bathroom. So it's a more padded, has a little protection from the yeah. wire rather than just running. So you're just typically usually running a wire, a wire. through and serpentining the, back and yeah, forth. Yeah. yeah. That's option B. Yeah. We're doing the, we're using, <clears throat> I think we're doing the laticrete. I think it's called strata or something, the heat yeah. mat with the, or the, yeah. the dimple membrane where you run yeah. the wires through. Right. Thank not you. not that big of a Dimples. cost. You know, I like to talk dollars where we can. So I figure 500 bucks for the product and then your electrician's going to need to run a dedicated circuit for that. Maybe another 250 there. Um, but you're less than a thousand dollars all in to do a radiant floor heat. I mean, if you're building it into the initial, mm-hmm. you know, bid mm-hmm. of your electrician mm-hmm. and tiler and everything, it's, the cost is actually pretty negligible and yeah. people love it. Like the one, I don't know about yours, but the ones we use are all Wi-Fi enabled and everything mm-hmm. like that. So you can set schedules. So if like, if you're waking up at 6.30 in the morning, you want the thing to turn on at six o'clock, the floors are nice and warm when yeah. you get up and all that fun stuff. So people love that stuff. I have it in my bathroom. I like it. It's nice. Especially when you're, uh, you know, sitting on the toilet and your feet are nice and warm. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, you you fancy boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't have it in my home. You got to make sure you run it near the toilet and a little bit underneath the vanity if you have a floating vanity. Oh, there you go. Cold spots <laughs> on radiant floors are not acceptable. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Actually, what, yeah. no, one other question on tile. Are yeah. you using epoxy grout or just standard grout? <sighs> you know, I used, I used epoxy grout on my last... Uh, project just for the uh, shower floor. Okay. It's expensive. It is. It's a good backup. It is a very good backup. Epoxy mm-hmm. grout is, is it's more stable. It's better than sealing the it's grout. It's not, after. it's not porous basically. It's yeah. well, it's essentially, it's very difficult water. to work with. It's like it's, very, it's like a very heavy and sandy. Yeah. Is it like mastic paste for ductwork? Almost. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough grout job. Yes. It's also like a hundred dollars for a small little yeah. like bucket of it. Yeah. So, but, it's $100 worth peace of mind to not have Correct. potential leaks. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah. Well, that's the thing. As the- On showers, one other easy thing is just make sure that your sh- the color of the shower drain is coordinated with the metal of the finished trim for your plumbing in the shower. I've walked into showers and had like really cool matte black and then looked down and it's polished chrome or something. It's like Same with your, if you have a glass shower door and yeah. making sure that the hardware on the, on the glass matches as well. Cause I've done that. I've seen the same thing. Yeah. I've seen like chrome shower door handles on like a really nice matte or matte black or oh one other tile thing mitering or are you using Schluter metal strip. edges schluter edges profiles yeah uh, the schluter the schluter i don't like bull what about what about like uh on the base of the niche are you gonna do like a stone or you still use the same tile or d- d- it varies doesn't matter i like to use i'll get my countertop guy to fabricate something from sometimes to go all the way around the niche or i'll tile it's it's six of one yeah, I like the Schluter makes a uh, a new product that it's a because a, a lot of times when you're if you're trying to miter the mm-hmm. corners around the niche, depending on the tile you're using, it, it could snap and it could be really sharp. But they make this cool profile now where you can actually you butt 
the two up and then it's almost like the metal's almost like at an angle and so it prevents it it, it provides a really nice finished look mm -hmm. and it protects the tile the corners of the tile so we've nice. used that in the past recently and it's a really nice look because it's it's pretty sharp yeah i had an issue once where the the bottom of the niche was sloping back towards the wall oh, so yeah. it would take water and it would just sit until it works its way through Ugh. so you just got to make sure you take a little torpedo yes. level and everything's pitching towards the drain yep. including the threshold including the bottom of the niche everything, um, everything pitches towards the drain yeah it sounds are you doing linear drains um not typically you in the primaries you sometimes yeah you know, we're using the linear drains I don't even hate shower pans, like a fiberglass shower pan instead of a tiled shower base. If you do them right and they feel solid and they're not squishy under your feet and they have a linear drain or something, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I've seen that a lot in, um, in newer hotels and stuff. They're mm -hmm. doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we wanted to stop and acknowledge our sponsor, First Boston Capital Partners. Uh, Dave Grossman and his team do a fantastic job. So if you need financing to build a building, uh, we highly recommend reaching out to them. They're super flexible, fast, really good group to work with. Uh, can't say enough. So first Boston Capital Partners, you can reach out to us for an introduction and I'll be happy to put you in touch. All right. So tile is done. We're looking at uh, to bring maybe our finished carpenters in now. Maybe or they're, they're, they're already in. Yeah. 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 You can start stacking trades when you start doing the finish work. Yeah. Tile's really easy to stack because nobody else is really in the bathroom. True. And you can't. You kind of want your tile to be finishing as your finished carpenters because they got a tile. The baseboard and stuff has to go over the tile. Yeah. So you got to kind of wait until Just tile a, is done. Just a philosophical question. This this applies to finished carpentry, tile, a lot of finishes. But are you purchasing these uh, sub subs furnish and install or are you procuring the products for them and buying labor only? What's your thought? I think it depends. Depends. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not providing like the laticrete or mm -hmm. the the pans or you know any other materials like the waterproofing materials. I'm obviously supplying the grout and the Schluter strips and any any phys like any finish related components of an install. So when we're bidding out tile, for instance. You know, like I said, you know, yeah, tile, I mean, route, Schluter. I like that approach too, but I there is a I, world in which you say, I have specified a porcelainosa subway tile in this color and you go and have your sub call and include that in the price. And, and they're responsible to get that tile, to bring it to the job and to install it. But in my experience, you're not going to get the best price in that way. Certainly when, when I'm doing large, large projects, there's no other way to do it because I don't want to be responsible for that quantity right. of tile. But in a smaller multifamily job, you Up know, to how many units would you do it? Uh, probably nine. I'm going to still buy all the tile. Yeah. And the reason is just because subs, in my opinion, don't want to be wrong on material costs. If they spend an extra day or two on the install that they didn't figure on, that's one account in their head, yeah. but the other is material busts. And I just feel like the numbers uh, are always going to be conservative on that. So you're better off. Yeah. Also on the smaller projects, giving them an additional responsibility mm -hmm. on top of what they already have going on and making them go to this tile, the specific tile shop that you've mm -hmm. specified and dealing with it 
it could throw the whole timeline off because, you know, then they're on the hook for getting the tile and ordering the tile and scheduling it. And and you know how long some of this yeah. stuff, it's six to eight weeks. What happens if they go in like two weeks before they're ready to go and the tile's not going to be, you know, so yeah. having that more of that control, I think is, is better off because most of the stuff that they're supplying can be purchased at any supply house or, yeah. home, you know, Home Depot. I mean, I do want to be very uh, explicit and direct about the format of the tile. Am I doing a herringbone tile, a chevron, stacked bond, right? All those things are going to contribute to cost. But my goal is conflict management. And I think that one of the ways that I avoid conflict is just by procuring the materials, even if it's, you know, if it's this baseboard or that baseboard within reason. Yeah. Labor's labor. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Unless it's a rental property and... It's easy and standard tile, right? Yeah. Something you can pick up that's unique, you know, not uniquely yeah. specific. Sure. Yeah, like I'll have certain stuff like our plumber, like on a rental project, our plumber will build in tubs, toilets, tubs also, and toilets yeah. in his cost because he can just go to a supply house. Yeah. And who cares? And who cares? You know, mm -hmm. get a get a typical American yeah. standard Americast yeah. tub, throw it in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think again just just making the distinction that product End product is yeah relative it's as well. Sorry, not to dwell. No, no. no. So finished carpentry. <laughs> Do you install your base before or after your floors? I think we've talked about this on the pod, but we I'm have. a proponent. I'm a proponent of flooring and then baseboard. Okay. I think if we're doing real wood, we will usually do base first mm -hmm. and then butt the real wood up to it. If we're doing pre-finished or engineered wood. We'll do the floor first and then the base. Yeah, I just think that the smaller sin is uh, a little bit of a gap below baseboard. I think getting the floor guy to deliver, to go baseboard first and get the floor guy to deliver to perfection there. That's why I think real wood, you have a lot more, I think you can get a much tighter fit with yeah. real wood. But even so, you get a little bit of expansion. I was bit, just going to say, the expansion, expansion will put pressure yeah, on the base. Yeah. And you end up with floors doing weird stuff, which is- Or your base, or your base popping, popping out. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, I all guess, these things to consider. Well, all these things to consider. Yeah. Always, yeah. I know. We've actually moved more towards engineered wood just in general because mm. it's it's much more stable, right? Mm. And it's a pretty solid installation and it's extremely durable. So, I mean, we don't I mean, have to deal with the expansion contraction, contraction yeah. as we've already mentioned. As much. As much. So uh, at no, all, There's really. no acclimation period, though, on, no. on an engineered floor. Deliver it, rip the box open, install right. it. And again, going back to, you know, when we're boarding and plastering, do we have climate control? Same thing is true. I mean, your, your floors aren't going in that much later. Mm -hmm. You may not have climate full climate control, so you might be installing them in a mm -hmm. hot summer environment. And then by nature, it's going to yeah. move differently. I think when engineered woods, engineered flooring had a stigma in the past of it being kind of a cheap way out. Well, and it I, looked ugly, the initial version, right? I, yeah. I don't, and I think that the it's come along. You can get some beautiful yeah. pre-finished flooring. What do you figure for price per square foot on just the product? We're getting for like a standard five inch pre-finished engineered wood, probably somewhere around between 350 and 450 a foot. Yeah. And I think if you want something wide plank, really nice, you're maybe between five and $6 yeah. a foot. Yeah. Like seven inch. Yeah. Yeah. And then I used to be able to buy and install for like a, a dollar, a dollar fifty a square foot. It seems like two dollars a square foot is yeah. fairly typical now. I agree. Install. Especially if you're doing, they're, they're going to be doing sanding stairs yeah. and stuff too. I mean, we can jump straight to floors quick, but are you guys gluing the floors down? Are you floating them? Are you nailing them? What's your approach? Uh, in rent, 
Yeah, well, if it's real wood, we're obviously, you know, nailing, nailing it. Mm-hmm. But for engineered in a rental, we're floating it because mm-hmm. we can easily pop it in and out. I'll tell you something that's not obvious. Replacing a piece of engineered wood floor that has been glued down it's is a bitch. Nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. <laughs> but We it, did that once, right? We, we had to did take a section. Something. We had to do a section of it. <laughs> and it was, it took a guy, it took, it was like probably a, eight by eight square mm-hmm. took them two days two guys yeah. two days to get it up yeah we used uh we had a little bit of a gouge on a recent job we had this uh wax repair kit they melted this it was like it, it was kind of like a little bit of a artistry that went into this that's cool did a really nice job um and in doing so we didn't have to rip up that floor that had basically been welded <laughs> it's, uh, it, it yeah, really glue. is it's yeah. just good luck yeah it comes and the wood comes up in like tiny little pieces. It's not like you can like no. rip it up and you're getting ripping a whole plank up. It's like mm-hmm. if you want to get it up, you're like having to cut it up. So, Guess but yes, in the downside in, of the engineered product, right? Because it's lots yeah. of little pieces. Yeah, and it's and it goes in pretty early on, and it's a very much finished product. So it, yep. that that can be tough. Yeah. So so again, we're in a in a higher end mm-hmm. product like a condo product. We're gluing it. So when do you install your pre finished flooring? Probably after. Uh, before before my kitchens are going in, after after the painter's done priming everything. Yeah. I try to have them be one of the last things installed. And so you're just putting flooring underneath your kitchens. Yeah, um, I know exactly. Two separate mobilizations for the floor guy. Yeah. yeah. I build it into the price, but mm-hmm. it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the thing, for, for peace of mind, not having to mm-hmm. worry about protecting the floors and people, someone dropping a hammer or something on it. I, mm-hmm. I map out wh- exactly where the, the cabinets are going to be mm-hmm. and where my laundry is going to be and where anything else might be. And I have them come in and I have them install it. And then they come back when that's, when it's done, like literally I will have them come in before the, like right before the painters come in and do all the finish. And unless it's a small job, you're not really looking at like two quote unquote mobilizations. They, they kind of know ahead of time, Hey, mm-hmm. I need a day here. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can do it kind of in between jobs or almost easier to schedule if it's just a, a day thing. Mm-hmm. And what I do is where the, because obviously there's going to be a, there'll be a seam, like mm-hmm. there'll be a weird mm-hmm. small cut where you're, you know, where you're attaching it to something. Cause you're not, you can't go from end to end. They're cutting it where the kitchen yeah. ends. Mm-hmm. So you hide it under the, under the toe kick yeah. in the kitchens. I mean, option B would be just to use a plywood of the same width underneath the, uh, yeah. you know, your, your goal here is to keep everything at the appropriate heights. Correct. Um, and also if someone wants to renovate their kitchen later, they lift up the Island. There isn't just a, you know, a void. <laughs> No, I. And you're doing floors too. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. That's weird. Yeah. But people, again, but what happens if they want to like change the layout of their kitchen? Mm -hmm. You know, so then it's like. So why not just let the boards stagger out as as necessary? Why trim them off? That you just mentioned. What do you mean? Like where the where the cabinets terminate? It doesn't. It doesn't matter because you're you're usually starting from one end to the other. So you're gonna have a. You don't want a small cut on a wall end. Well, I'm looking at you, Ray. So you want me to turn the whole microphone? Yeah, I'd like okay. to have excellent sound quality. <laughs> um, so For our listeners, where where the you wall I mean. is? You say you just said like you just cut it and then yeah, because if you if you have a whole board and then you get to the wall end, you're gonna have a weird small cut on the wall end. You want to avoid that. You want a full piece. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. All so, right. Let's talk about, about the look, Ray. Kitchen install. Are you blocking uh, behind the wall yes. for your kitchens before? Okay. Yes. Smart. Yeah. 
And if you have a good kitchen designer, they'll actually give you a blocking plan. Nice. Or, you know, depending on who you're using. But uh, in other words, if you spend lots of money, <laughs> they'll give you lots of detailed plans. In, Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Inset. What, what do you like for kitchen cabinet style? Oh, man. Inset doors, full overlay, frameless. I think, again, I think it depends on the aesthetic. I think if if you're going on more of the transitional route, I like inset. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to cost more money, but obviously more modern, a more modern finish, you're going to get, you kind of like a flat stock, mm -hmm. full overlay. What about you? I'm not going to, I really would not go with an inset cabinet on a multifamily application, unless it's like in the South End or Back Bay, but I would definitely do frameless cabinet on anything. Yeah. And crown molding, you guys seen crown molding, are you using it? on your products? I have not used crown molding in years. I think, again, it comes down to the aesthetic. I think in a more traditional, transitional building, we'll use it, but in a modern building, we won't. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes down to kind of, cause like if I'm doing a renovation of a Victorian in Brookline or, or, or you know, I think I'm, I'll probably do a more modern looking crown, but you know. Are you using, um, so you can get pre-finished uh, hardwood nosings and you can use those on the stairs. So you can just clad the stairs in your pre-finished hardwood and put like a, a nosing um, on the front of the step. Or you can get just an oak tread and then try to stain it to match the pre-finished floors. What's your preference? I get the oak tread. Yeah, treads. I've done it both ways. I, I much prefer oak treads. Yeah. It's more Wouldn't it look for weird? a lot of reasons. Yeah. What? No, I mean, it looks almost more natural. Uh, in some ways, not because, the full tread, the the nosing and then the other flooring. Well, the nosing comes from the pre-finished manufacturer, so it's stained yeah. to match oh, I exactly. See. I see. But then you have kind of like a a line like a in your a seam in your in your step. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. But and it, and what me, are you putting for your riser if you're doing that? Just white like white pine. White still. pine. Yeah. How often are you guys? I mean, I know our answer, but how often are you deferring to interior designers, architects, and other professionals to help with some of these finished decisions. For example, when you're picking out cabinets, if you go to the, the cabinet design center, do you let them kind of guide you or do you kind of have your own style or flavor or vision? I don't know if a smaller project budget wise will can afford to hire an, an interior designer to spec out all your finishes. I'm sure you could, you could do it. I think and then same with, with architects. I, we kind of just have architects. They're not really doing any finish yeah. design at all. On yeah, our end. I don't really pay for that. So I'll usually have maybe two or three options in mind and I'll go to friends. I'll send it to Dan or, you know, let, let some other people opine and just help steer, make sure I'm going in the right direction. Yeah, I'll usually, do, I'll usually go on to Pinterest or mm -hmm. House or Instagram, Instagram and just kind of put together a, a board or a, a bunch of, I always have, like, if I have a new project coming up, I create like a saved folder in Instagram yeah. and I'm always saving things to that new townhouse project. Yep. So I'm thinking about tiles, kitchens and all that stuff. Almost done here. Maybe finish plumbing, finish electrical. Any thoughts on um, either of those? I mean, electrical is pretty is, straight, you know, heights, of, heights of pendants, any hanging fixtures. Yeah. I'm always, I always um, make sure I'm on site when, if there's pendants and things mm -hmm. like that. I'm usually there and I have them holding it because every pendant is different. I know that there's like, you know, there's certain, um, <laughs> there's certain kind of guidelines. I think they say like 36 inches from the top of the countertop mm -hmm. to the bottom of the pendant. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you kind of, 
tweak, gotta feel it tweak things when it, when you're in the field. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how. How about like switches, regular flip switches, rocker switches, dimmer switches, specialty switches? I don't like it. Other like, than keeping the J boxes all level, straight, all that <laughs> stuff, same height. That's, yeah. That should be a, a no-no from the get-go. I've been trying to avoid toggle switches lately. If I can, just at least use a paddle. Yeah. It's a small premium, but it looks a lot nicer. Yeah. I mean, we've typically just gone with it. I mean, I know that you, you recently used the Brilliance in your latest project, and we've been using them recently as well. And I think that's kind of another way to elevate the product and mm -hmm. kind of provide more of that smart home feel uh, and elevated feel of your kind of finished electrical. And it's easy for your electrician because it's a standard. It does yeah. not like any specialty wiring that's required. What's kind of wild actually, if you use the smart switch products, often in like a three-way switch application, the wiring is super simple because they're basically just communicating to each other via Wi-Fi. You don't need like a traveler wire yep. or any kind of elaborate uh, electrical pre-planning. Yeah, it's, so, it's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, hey. And what about I finished plumbing is kind of. Did we skip any major food groups here? Specialty thing with that, rather than just grills, we've used the. Uh, oh, the Ari events. Ari events. Mm -hmm. nice, yeah, I've seen those. Nicer look. Yeah. Those are nice. Both but tile and hardwood. So, I mean, you can, or flooring, if you will. Yeah. Nice, and returns. Nice you can use them for returns as well. Yeah. Instead of like the grill, you know, standard. Thing that we're looking at here in mm -hmm. our office, you know, you get something really nice, vertical, flat, sure. air sure. all around it. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a nice look. The only thing about the only sometimes I've heard people say that it can be loud depending on how powerful your system is, mm -hmm. um, because the airflow is it's mm -hmm. kind of more of a it restricts it a little bit. Yeah, use so, less free free air. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, this has been fun. I think we've uh, made it through finishes for the most part. I think uh, this this concludes our building, a building <laughs> series. I mean, we can do, yeah, I mean, you know, countertops and all that stuff, but <laughs> another day, another topic. I think I think we covered the major. Major food there. groups. Yeah. 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 If you have any questions, you want to reach out, you guys know how to find us on Instagram, choose underscore Boston or HRV Homes. Yep. Thank you all for rating, for listening, and for reviewing. We really appreciate it. That's how the podcast grows. And uh, thank you, everybody uh, out there. And happy holidays. Cheers. Take care.